You're listening to The Zealous Podcast with Rocky Snyder. This week, we've got Joey Wolf, a former baseball player with the Toronto Blue Jays organization. He's now setting his sights on youth sports conditioning, and in particular, baseball. I hope you enjoy the episode. Early in your career, you pursued baseball. Obviously, you've, you've been doing it all your life. Uh, you made it to professional ball, and you got a tremendous amount of experience with the farm teams, the minors, uh, and then, and then changed, had a change of, of course in your life. Um, and, and that brought you into strength conditioning. So give me a little idea of what it was like in the minors and transitioning into the world of, of strength conditioning. Yeah. So, uh, for, you know, I played baseball for 20 years. Uh, the last three of those years were, were professionally in the Blue Jays minor league system. So um, I, that was all I ever thought about was, was trying to play professional baseball. And um, so when that ended, it ended abruptly. You know, I ended up retiring on Memorial Day weekend in 2005. Uh, you know, the, the, the night before that, when I went to sleep, I wasn't thinking, hey, I'm going to retire from something I've been doing for 20 years. It was, it was kind of a, you know, it, like it just, things had kind of come to a head and I had enough. And so when I got done, I, I never really thought about like, what am I going to do with my life? And so I had some time to think about that on the drive home. My best friend flew out from, from Oregon and we, and we drew, we drove back together. And I think I got back on a, on a, on a Saturday morning or something like that. And my, my family um, owns a, at the time owned a business over in San Jose. Um, they were a big contract manufacturer. They built uh, semiconductor equipment. And uh, my dad's like, Hey, I want you to work on Monday. So I said, okay. And so I never really took the time to process, you know, knowing what I know now would have probably taken a month off, maybe traveled, done something and, and eventually landed on, on what you're talking about strength and conditioning, but it didn't actually happen that way. So I went to go work for my dad's business for about a year and a half. And during that time, um, my oldest brother, Vince got diagnosed with uh, grade four glioblastoma. It's the strongest form of brain cancer. And he died less than a year later. He died on May 5th, uh, 2007. So that kind of, spun me out pretty good in terms of, you know, cause at the time I, I was driving, you know, over to San Jose every day, which is about 45 minutes, depending on traffic, sometimes it could be an hour and a half driving. I, I was just was very unsatisfied with what I was doing. It was nothing like I felt like when I was playing baseball, I never questioned what I was doing. I knew I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. I loved it. And, uh, and I missed that part of it. And then when Vince died, he was only 30 when he passed away. It was like, life is way too short to be living this life. So that's when I decided you know, I always kind of wanted to get into training. I always kind of dreamt about opening up my own training facility, um, but I had no experience other than the practical experience as an athlete, but I never trained anyone. So um, I ended up working at Google. Um, they offered me a job, worked at the front desk, uh, gave me an opportunity to study. Um, and then shortly after that's when I met you. Uh, and so that was, I guess, the, that was Christmas Eve of 2009. Uh, I came in and met you. And 2009? Uh, Is it that yeah, long? Yeah, it was 2009. 12 years. Um, and I took, you took me through a workout. It was a class and I was the only one that showed up because it was Christmas Eve. And, uh, and I remember thinking this guy is good at what he does and I can learn a lot here. And so that was, and again, the goal was always to like bring the business over to Santa Cruz and not make that community more because I've done it for years. And um, so I just kind of slowly started learning and I started learning a lot when I was working with you. Um, you know, I'm just getting around a lot of good people really started educating myself early on in my career. Um, it's Exos now, as you know, but athletes performance, you know, when I was playing baseball, I really loved what Mark Verstegen was doing. Um, and he'd written a couple books and I read them. And, and so I had an opportunity to, to do some of their mentorships. Um, and so I started doing, I just kind of started devouring as much information from them as I could. And, 
um, slowly started kind of building the clientele specifically in the baseball. You know, that was obviously my niche is it was such a big part of my life. Um, and so I started training a lot of baseball players, both high school, a couple pros, um, some college guys, and then eventually kind of have grown into to what we're doing now. So I guess going back to your original question about baseball and um, what baseball taught me, this is the kind of the one thing in what I feel like differentiates us from others. I'm not saying others don't do this, but it's something that, you know, because I've reflected on this a lot. Like for me, when baseball ended the way it did, it in some ways, you know, how I was framing was, well, that was a waste of time. Like, without, like, I spent all this time and energy on trying to, you know, hone my skills and develop this craft, master this craft. And now I can't, it's not like surfing or tennis or golf where you can go do it. You can go still go do it when you're 60. You know, I don't, I don't play in a men's league. I don't, I can't utilize my skills anymore as a, as a player. But really what baseball taught me was, you know, what it meant to be a good teammate you know, what it meant to work really hard on days that you didn't want to, you know, grit, all of the things that all sports teach you if, if you, if you allow it to. And so that was kind of how I reframed everything. And, and so now, whether it's, we're training kids in the gym or we're working with them on the baseball field, that is really the message is like, look guys, like, and not to be negative about it, but most of you guys aren't going to play in college and very few of you will play in the major league. So, and even if you're Derek Jeter, this thing's going to end at some point, right? So you really got to use the game and take all of it, everything you can from it. Don't let the game use you. And I felt like for the first two or three years when I was retired, I was, I was a bit salty about it just because I didn't get to the low. I, you know, I never made it to the major leagues. And that ultimately was the goal. And so for us, what we've tried to do is we've tried to combine the skills side of things. So we have lessons that we do. You know, I was a catcher, so I'm doing catching lessons. Kevin Eichhorn, who's the director of our baseball operations, he was a minor league pitcher uh, for the Detroit Tigers. And so he, he, he worked the pitchers. We both hitting. We have a, a few other coaches on our staff that do the infield. So, so we can, we can speak at a pretty high level on the technical side of the game. But in addition to that, what we started doing about four or five years ago is we started creating our own travel ball teams. You know, there's a lot of dads in town or some teams over the hill. And like, and it was funny. I, originally I started doing it just to kind of trick the kids into training because I couldn't okay, get the kids just it's because they wouldn't, kids wouldn't come in and train. They like, didn't want to, like, as you know, it's, you know, training can be challenging. And they didn't, they didn't want to do it, but they were all playing travel ball. I was like, well, if we start, I mean, we can, I can run a travel ball team. Like I've never been a manager, but I, I'm sure I can do this. So we, so we started a team and then we made the training a part of the program. And so now they start getting the training like, oh, and then they start feeling like, oh, I'm getting stronger. Oh, I'm hitting the ball further. Oh, I'm actually becoming a better player. So we kind of incorporate, so we kind of went backwards because the first two or three years we were open we weren't doing travel ball. So now we're doing the skill side of the skill development we're doing, uh, you know, we're doing the travel team. So we're going to see these kids compete because one of the challenging things for me as, as, a, as an instructor was you're doing these lessons and then you don't really know how it plays out because you're not at their games watching them perform. Um, and so, you know, you hope for the best, but you don't really know. And, um, you know, baseball is such a heady game that you can look physically like really good in a cage, but oftentimes kids can't translate in, that into a game situation. So now we're getting the best of both worlds. We're getting kids you know, we're getting them instruction, we're seeing how it translate. And if, it, if it's not translating, then we can go back to the drawing board and kind of take a look and see what's going on. And, and then now they're also getting um, that gym setting where they're getting physically bigger, stronger, faster. Um, and then about three or four years ago, we, we brought a guy on, his name's Jake Angelo, and he has a master's degree. 
and he's really into sports psychology. And he talks a lot about uh, positive mental attitude, PMA. He talks about it all the time. And our, the kids in our program have really bought into it. So now they're getting skill acquisition, they're getting the strength and conditioning, um, and then they're getting the, um, this, this mental component that Angie's providing too. So we're trying, it's basically, we're trying to get all of it happening in-house because a lot of these programs, what they'll do is they'll go recruit the best players from all, all like Northern California. Like I played on a team um, called, the, at the time it was called NorCal Angels. Now it's just called NorCal. And Rob Bruner is a great guy. He runs a really good program. You know, CC Sabathia and a bunch of other guys played on this team in, but I never felt like I was part of a team. It was like guys would come in for the weekend. You know, I, I wouldn't play because they were better than me. That and, and so they would play. And, and then, you know, those guys would move on to college. I eventually went on to college too. But it was, it never felt like I was developing as a player, as a teammate, all the things, like I said, that I felt baseball taught me. And so I want to kind of build something different. I want to build something where we're building kids in-house and we're developing them. And, and I've been doing this long enough now where we had kids come in since they were 10 and now they've graduated high school and now playing in college. And that's pretty special to me is taking a kid that, you know, had he not met any of our coaching staff at Paradigm, there's, a, it's, 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 uh, it's unlikely that he'd be playing in college. So to have that kind of impact on kids in the community is pretty, pretty awesome. Again, you, you don't just rely on in-house education information uh, with the staff that you have and your own experience. I know for a fact you have reached out to to organizations and and individuals uh, like the PRI, the guys from PRI. You you hired them to come in teach courses at your facility, and uh, Tom House, who's been on this show previously, he's the NFL quarterback coach or throwing coach for for uh, Tom Brady as well as the newly retired Drew Brees and about seventeen other NFL quarterbacks. Um, it's that that's what I really one of those things that that I'm so proud of you for doing is is relying on the fact that there's more information out there and I want to bring it to them so what now that COVID hopefully is lifting or during even COVID have you continued to do that I'm just curious I'm not sure if you have or not yeah, that's funny, the timing of that. Yeah, I actually emailed Lauren from Perform Better yesterday to ask her what's going on with their summits this summer, if they're going to you know, continue to do them. She said they're done with the one days, but they'll be doing the three days. So, yes. um, yeah, so yeah, that, uh, as you know, you're a speaker on the, on the, on the summits. Um, but yeah, no, 100%. And we were just talking before this call started. Um, as, as a business owner in this industry, it, it, can be, it can be tough for multiple reasons. But I think one of them is, if, if people are going to get in this profession and they're going to, and they're going to use it as a career or, or stay in it as a career, um, they're not doing it for the money. Most of them aren't. I mean, it, there's very few people that are making, you know, six figures doing what we do. Um, and so you, you have to find somebody that is passionate about it and wants to learn. And so providing those opportunities for our staff, I think is really important, uh, not only for their professional development, but also their personal development. And I know for me, when I started training with you, like I didn't know anything and I knew I didn't know anything. And I never, like my biggest fear was like hurting a client. Like I never wanted to, to hurt a client um, just because I didn't know what I was doing. So early on in my career, I was, I was devouring, I was devouring as much information as I could trying to process it as best I, as best I could. Um, but I think that for me, that that's been a big part of it since the beginning is I'm constantly trying to learn and evolve. And I think that's why you were such a good mentor to me is because you, you, I mean, you've been, but when we met, I think you've been in the industry for like 20 plus years and you were still constantly evolving and stuff like that. So 
having that guidance from you and others, I think was paramount. So yeah, I still am trying to do it. It is challenging, but I guess the one good thing about COVID, um, cause there is some silver lining is things like what we're doing now, you know, everything is, is virtual. So you can still hop on and, uh, you know, you can do something virtually. One of the, we, we had a call with our coaches uh, about six months back with Brendan Rierich. Um, do you know Brendan yeah. at all? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and he was great. He'd just written his book and I had my staff read it and, and we kind of had took our takeaways from it, asked him questions and he was really great with his time and, and it's awesome just to answer questions. So we still do do it. I mean, if I, if I be totally honest, it, it definitely took a backseat to just trying to stay in business, you know, like the last 20 months have been really challenging um, for everyone in our industry. And, 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 but as you know, I'd say around June, July, it was kind of like, you know, cause what we got away from was like, like, you know, leads and leads to trials and trials to memberships, like our whole sales process and marketing process just when kaput when like when, when everything went down and as things started to to come back it was like okay we need to kind of get back to what we were doing beforehand continuing education is definitely one of those things right on yeah and when it comes to perform better there will be the live training summits with one exception long beach is not on the calendar that we'll do orlando florida we're going to do providence rhode island and chicago so those will be the three venues that are happening this year. And so okay. I'm, I'm sure they're going to be successful. I mean, it's, it's always just a huge amount of information just to draw from. And, uh, and I loved it when we would go down there as a team and so on down to Long Beach and uh, you just, you, we would divide and conquer. Okay. What did you get from this presenter? I went to this one. Here's what he was talking about. Here's what she was doing in the hands-on and it was phenomenal. So for anybody that hasn't been to the training summits, you do yourself a favor and, and actually go in person and, and, and really soak up as much knowledge and experience as you can. So with Paradigm, you, wh when did you start this? It's, it's been eight years now? Uh, yeah, it'll Not, be eight in, in June, so 2014. 2014, fantastic. And you've got about a 5,200 square foot facility complete with a batting cage, mm -hmm. as well as a training facility. And it's, it's top notch. I mean, this is a very professional outfit that you've put together. Uh, and one thing I'm curious, Joey, and it's, it's something that I don't know if we've really talked about, but how much harder it is for you in regards to your clientele. If you're seeking youth baseball, the, the kids are only going to be young for so long. Mm -hmm. And there's seasons and there's there's so many other elements that come into play with your client base that that presents, I think, twice as much work from a business perspective than just training general population. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Are you thinking in, in the sense of the actual training aspect or are you thinking like retaining clientele or all of the above? No, it's more about retaining clientele. I mean, mm -hmm. you're, you're constantly having to, to generate leads more so than say, you know, let's just take somebody that is focused on this, the elderly population. Now, granted, mm -hmm. there's a ceiling there that they're going to reach eventually, but it's, it's going to be probably more years than your average player. Granted, you just said you had a 10-year-old that are now in college ranks, so you've had them for seven to 10 years or so, and they probably come back during their seasons. But honestly, your clients are how many years are they going to stay with you? Yeah, that's what I was going to say is, I mean, if you take an average general population client, like to retain a client for like three plus years, that's kind of, that's, you know, I'd say that's probably higher than average for us. Um, and so for us, again, that's kind of why the travel ball has been good. It's almost like a lead generator from the strength and conditioning side, because, uh -huh. you know, we, we basically work with 12 all the way to 18 year. And so 
every year we're getting a new batch of kids coming in again and, and it's only a small percentage of those kids are going to last you know the seven to eight years um those are the ones that are really special right those are the ones that want to come in and work and and do it so um so i guess i'd say we, our travel ball program is a bit of a lead generator um it's been easier for us to um build a kind of build a brand in the community around the baseball i think when you know because kids are wearing our shirts adults wear our shirts around town and that's not something i thought about early on i think when i first started because of my background as a player and someone who really likes training conditioning and training i just kind of looked at it all as the same thing but as i've done this over time it's like you know these are definitely two different businesses and we've kind of i've kind of muddied the waters having them but in some ways when it's working well it's such a beautiful thing um, to see the kids and the parents kind of training in the same facility. Um, but I would say to answer your question that the, the, the travel ball is kind of the lead generator. And I, I feel like we built a name for ourselves in the baseball industry. So, so people are coming out, like I'm getting, I have client, we have clients coming up from San Jose and Monterey. Um, you know, it's like Eric, you know, when I was visiting Cressy in 2011, I was, it was, it was like one of those aha moments. Uh, there was a kid, he was, he'd flown all the way out there from Indiana. And, you know, I don't know if you ever went to Eric's uh, original facility in Hudson, Massachusetts, but I couldn't find the place when I was, and I had the address, I was like looking for it. And it's like, if you get really good at what you do, people will come, come find you. And, and that was kind of, and I'm not even comparing myself to Eric. Eric is, is still to the, he's, he's the best in the industry as far as I'm concerned at training baseball players. Um, but kids are coming from San Jose to come train with us. So um, I, I, I honestly, I feel like it's easier for us to get our baseball clientele training with us than it is for the general population. Um, and that, and that's really shifted heavily through the pandemic. And I, and I've, I've kind of asked myself, like, why is that? And I think for us, you know, I, I think the restrictions were clear. It was very black and white, what we could and couldn't do. And, and with the baseball, we, we weren't technically like a gym and, and we had these classes going outside and parents wanted to get their kids out of the house and get them doing something. And we weren't competing with basketball or football or soccer because those weren't going on either. And so that really kind of expedited, I think inevitably what was going to happen. One of my mentors told me a couple of nights at dinner, a couple of weeks ago at dinner, he said his, his um, perception of the, is the, of the pandemic is that what it really did is it just expedited the inevitable. And so come a couple of examples he gave was, you know, like live, you know, instead of going to the movie theater, we're now live streaming our, our movies, um, you know, you know, virtual meetings like we're doing right now, like things were going this way, but it didn't happen. It once, once the pandemic hit, it just, everything expedited. And I, and I look at our business when you sound like that's probably what was going to happen with our business. I don't know that our, our business, our fitness business was headed, headed down down the way it's gone with the pandemic, but definitely the baseball things were kind of trending in that way slowly um, before the pandemic. So, yeah. Well, and, and it also, I mean, it helps your location is surrounded by baseball fields. So it's like you, you couldn't have plucked yourself down into a spot that is more suitable because the people that come by there are heading toward the field itself. But I get right. what you're saying. I totally agree too. I think, uh, as parents, we needed places that were safe for our kids to go and explore that. Uh, and, and you provided that. I'm curious, we, you know, we get a lot of the listening audience are male trainers, a lot of them looking to get into youth sports conditioning. I've had several guests on this past year that have been focusing on just that. Um, and I think you'll agree that even though you focus on baseball, there's other sports that you encourage your athletes to pursue 
so that the wear and tear on their bodies are, are minimized uh, compared to the year round athlete. Like, right. um, how do you have that conversation with the parents? Like, do you, do you have like parent night or information night where you sit down with the family and go, Hey, look, um, you know, I know he loves playing baseball. She loves playing baseball. Uh, but it, for the longevity of, of their sport and their participation, it's essential that this, this, and this happen. Uh, yeah, no, we do have those conversations. Um, and we, and we set up our season in a way that we're not playing. The kids aren't playing year round. Um, and we, and we make it very clear. I mean, we have a, an entire player's handbook and a, uh, in a parent's handbook, so they can, so they, we kind of, we have a meeting before the season start, we go through it. Um, and I do think we do, we do explain them that we, they need to be doing multiple sports. I have two boys myself, a seven and a nine year old, um, who aren't great baseball players yet, but they, but they, you know, they're playing flag football, they're playing soccer, they're playing basketball. So I think all we can do is, is provide the information. You know, if a parent really actually seems like they're, they care what I'd say and they're interested, you know, Eric's written some great articles on this, I'll send it to them and say, hey, this is, and I agree with what, Eric's saying, and he gives some specific examples as to, as to why, but um, at the end of the day, man, you can lead a horse to water. I think some of these parents, they just, they just don't, it's like, my, you know, my Jimmy loves playing baseball. It's like, okay, well, I think you're doing him a disservice by having him play, you know, 350 days, you know, out of the year when he's 10 years old. Um, and, and sometimes what will happen too is we'll get baseball players when they're in high school, and I'll never say this to be mean, but I, you can almost tell like, hey, did you play other sports when you were a kid? And they're like, nope, just baseball. And it's like, yeah, I, I, I can tell that. Like they just, their multi-directional skills aren't very good. Like, you know, they can put a bat, you know, bat to the ball, but there's certain things they, they don't do well. And I think that it's really hard for kids um, to develop. Like, you know, we work with a lot of pro baseball players in here and pretty much all of them played multiple sports when they, not just like when they were younger, but through high school. Um, but I do think that for some kids like myself, like I'm not an overly athletic person. You know, you see, I'm not very big, you know, I'm 5'8". I was 170 pounds when I graduated high school. I played a lot of sports till I was, you know, through junior high. But then once I got to high school, I did specialize in baseball. And I wasn't a pitcher, so I'll make that make that clear. Um, but I feel like for some kids that aren't overly athletic and don't have like the, these these physical statures, sometimes I think it maybe kind of that high school time might be a good time to to start maybe specializing in a sport. And I don't hear a lot of guys saying this or gals talking about this, but I firmly believe that if I would have played basketball or football in high school that my chances of playing college out of high school would not have been very high. Um, so that's just, just, that's just my, my, my opinion on it. But I think at, up until, up until 14, 15 years old, I think kids should be playing all different types of sports. And so not to put you into a hot seat in any way, but I'm curious about your strength conditioning program with those that are pre-adolescent, you know, the 10 to let's say 10 to 13 year old boys is are part of your conditioning programs game based where it, and, and it's not like baseball so much as it is uh, ultimate Frisbee or soccer or some other kind of skill transfer games in a way. Yes, we do all of that. And a lot of that, especially for the younger guys, the younger kids is just to keep them engaged, right? Like it's just like anything else you want to keep kids engaged. You make, you create a game or you create competition. And so we'll do, you know, we'll do the hinge and the knee dominant and the hip dominant, the pulling and the pushing, all the strength conditioning stuff. But we definitely leave time towards the end or in the middle or as a starter to just to have a game where they're, you know, they're playing tag or they're catching a football. They're doing whatever it is just to kind of get them out of their comfort zone, but keep it fun and keep it light. Because to us, like it's, you know, those neuro associations, like we want them to 
associate training with fun. And if we make it all, you know, very militant, then they're not going to want to come back and do it. What are some of the most fun drills that they kind of request during their training, if they can make requests? Uh, well, we train a lot of boys. We don't train too many girls. So all, almost all the boys love playing catch with the football. Um, we'll do uh, that physio ball tag where you can't pick the physio ball up off the ground, but you got to go run it over and tag them with the physio ball. Um, they like doing that. Um, and then sometimes we'll play red light, green light. So simple, just stupid little kid games that we play when we were kids. But, you know, I don't know how many kids are playing it these days. Uh, dodgeball is another one, which is kind of, I don't know, 2021, I don't, the parents don't love that one so much if a kid's getting smoked in the face. But um, a lot of the kids love playing dodgeball. Who doesn't? I mean, honestly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how do you get the buy-in, whether it's with the, the young athletes themselves or their parents? Like, what... What is it that you do in your approach that assures you're going to secure your clients? So with the parents, uh, one of the things that we, we did, I started doing this early on, um, and I actually got this from Mark Verstegen. He has like a, he had a, like a covenant that he would have all his athletes sign. And so I think kind of what we were talking about earlier in the podcast um, about what we're really trying to get these kids to get from the training. It, yes, we want to get a bigger, faster, stronger but really what we're trying to do is get them accustomed to uh, a program where they're dedicating themselves to it and they're, they're committed to it. Um, and so I think once the parents hear us talking about those types of things, uh, you get buying from them right away. And I think with the kids, um, it's all about the group and the culture that we're creating on the, on the floor. So if there are other kids that are like-minded or pushing and, um, you know, welcoming to the, to the new athlete there, then I think right away those, those kids will, because you'll see it. Some kids will come in, they're super quiet. They're not talking much. And then once they get comfortable, they, 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 you know, their, their, their true personality kind of comes out and, and they fall in love with the process. Now, I'd be lying to you if I told you that happens with all of the kids that come here. This is definitely not. I mean, again, we're, 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 we're training. We're not you know, eating hamburgers. Like, you know, just like general pop, like people sometimes don't want to work very hard. But um, the kids that do, once they get in here, they find out like, these are my people. This is the environment I want to be in. So um, so I think it's the culture and then just setting that precedent with, with the kid and with the parents early on. And other sports, I mean, I'm sure you've got other athletes that are coming in there aside from baseball, but do you notice a trend in any sport right now? I'm sure it shifts from time to time. At one point you had the McCall brothers with their extreme cycle, um, cycling. You had some professional surfers as well. Do you find that that's just kind of, you spin the wheel and this year we're landing on the, the pro surf circuit or, or what's that like? No, I mean, I don't know if this answers your question, but uh, it's funny. We have a guy that's training here. He's, he's, he's married to a gal that grew up here in Soquel um, and he plays uh, for the Swiss, the Swiss team. He's a goalie. And he reached out to me because he was here for the holiday break. And um, so we'll integrate him with our baseball guys. And I have another guy named Garrett Meacham who he rides bikes like, like Tyler and Cam do. And, um, and he'll jump in with these guys. I have another guy that's doing uh, lacrosse at High Point. His sister's uh, Abby Dahlkemper who plays for the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team. So we get this like eclectic group of, and again, we're mostly baseball heavy, but these guys jump in and they love it. And, 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 and we're, you know, we're doing five ten five shuttles and, we're doing med ball drills and, and they're competing against each other and it's fun. And so they're playing different sports, but again, to, to, to these guys. And I think what draws me to what I do is I want to figure out like what makes people tick mentally and physically, like what makes them want to be world-class and how do they get there? And 
that's why I've had so much fun working with guys like Nat and Luke Rockhold back when he was living here and, uh, you know, Mitch Yanniger, like all these guys, like, yes, they're different. They play different sports. They have different personalities, but at the end of the day, like these guys just want to be the best at what they, what they do. And a lot of what we do in strength conditioning, I'd say 80% of it is the same. There's 20% that is going to be more specific and tailored towards that individual athlete or what the specific demands of their sport are. But um, I love it when, when we have different types of athletes from different types of sports playing or competing against each other or training here in the weight room because they'll have a common goal and that's to be the best. And where do you get that insight, information or education when it comes to coaching and bringing that quality out in your athletes? Like if for those that are seeing the video version of this podcast, there's a poster on the back of your wall there, the pyramid of success. I think John Wooden is, mm-hmm. is in there. If I, if I can see it properly, yeah. like, uh, are you looking at his books or where do you, where do you get your inspiration and, and information to be the best coach you can be? Yeah. John Wooden was, was a big one for me and, and still is, um, you know, I was introduced to, to my, my friend when I was like 12, I used to go to his camps at UCLA, but I didn't know of him. Um, it wasn't until I got to college. Uh, I, I was waiting for, for my wife, Kendra, you know, um, she, her and girlfriends are getting ready. We we're going to go to go out, go out to, she went to Cal Poly down in San Luis Obispo where we they were getting ready. And I was just sitting in, there was like this infomercial and John Wooden was talking and I'm like, dude, dude, this guy's amazing. Like, I just love, I was like on the edge of my seat. And then when we went ready to go out, I said, Hey, Kendra, this is back when we used to have bookstores. I said, Hey, I want to stop at the Barnes and Noble and go get this guy's book. So that was really what kind of started it for me and started my journey. So I was still playing at the time. Um, but then, yeah, like, like I said, like Mark Verstegen, um, I listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, I love, uh, impact theory is one of the guy named Tom Billy, just anything with like personal and professional development, like, uh, that stuff. I've always kind of geeked out on that stuff. And it's just, it's just what, it's just what, like what, where my attention goes. So anytime I've got, um, dead time, whether I'm driving or doing dishes or vacuums, whatever, I'll just slap a podcast in, in, I'll, and usually, um, it's something along those lines of like building culture or, um, you know, personal, personal development. Um, all of that stuff really resonates with me. Um, that's, I like the X and O's of what do we do, both from a baseball standpoint and from a strength conditioning standpoint, but it's really that what we're talking about right now that that grinds my gears and gets me going. And, um, and, and that's why, like, when you hear stuff like Nick Winkleman talking about like, you know, just internal queuing and external queuing and, and devoting like, you know, four or five years of his life to, you know, getting a PhD on that topic. It's like, when you hear these people talk about these things, it's like, oh my God, like I'm going to use this information and, and, and use it with my athletes. Cause it works in, in both sectors. It works on the strength conditioning side as well as the baseball side. So, um, but yeah, I would say most of my time is spent, you know, reading things that, you know, John Wooden's read. I like Simon Sinek, Star Wars. Like there's so many, there's so many out there. I mean, there's a lot, but yeah, that's pretty much what, what I love most. And what is it about coaching um, or cueing more to the point uh, for, for this particular year, how has your cueing changed? And whether that's dealing with online clients or in person? Mm-hmm. Um. I guess, I mean, I was introduced to Nick's stuff maybe three or four years ago. So I wouldn't say that my cueing has changed much in, as of late. Um, but when I was introduced to that, I was constantly, because Nick does a really good job. Like, and I feel like all of the Exos coaches do this when they present, they, they kind of form the problem or kind of mention, they go really deep into science and then they bring in the, the practical side of it. And it's always really well done. So Nick had me from the beginning about it. And, but the, the, the one challenge I always had 
after listening to him, and I know he wrote a book semi-recently, I think it was like maybe a year ago. Um, I haven't read it yet, I need to, because I think he has examples of queuing. But what, every time he get done talking, I was always like, when I'm like, okay, Nick was really good about like, if I'm thinking about, you know, teaching someone how to do a vertical jump, then I'm gonna talk about like a rocket taking off and we're going straight up. If I'm thinking about acceleration, I'm thinking about like a fighter jet taking off. And so he would, he would form these cues. It's like, but that in itself is a skill set to like think of these cues that model the movement that you want your athlete moving in. And so uh, again, I need to get his book so I can see kind of his cheat sheet. But when he was presenting, the argument was clear. He'd sold me for the first five minutes. It was like, okay, now the challenge is how do I get that to, how, how do I create my own cues, external cues to get these athletes to, to get it? And, you know, the way he talks about enunciating and, and push and, and, and then talking to your athlete and you know asking them what did you hear me say and then they may say something that, a little bit different than what you said and then you say okay great and then you, now you're using their language rather than the language that I was originally using so again all that stuff started for me about two or three years ago um, but what I found to, to I guess we're getting with the question is when we started going online so like you we had to go online like the next day after the, the pandemic started and that was really a challenge for us. And, and, and that was one of the things I was saying about, I was like, I need to be really engaged. I need to be really good about cueing these athletes. And it's hard, you know, it's kind of hard to see them because you got a bunch of boxes on there and you're trying to kind of get it. But um, I'm always thinking about um, how can I externally cue? And I find it equally challenging, both with baseball and with strength and conditioning. Um, so, yeah, but it's, it's always fun. It's a fun challenge, right? Like once you get the concept, it's like, okay, this is, this is me a fun chapter. I got to figure this out. And I think that's what makes, you know, good coaches great is when they can do that. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, one of those hidden kind of uh, silver linings with COVID and having to go online and having several people in these video windows is that you are constantly seeing them compared to being in person and you've got them scattered around the studio and your back may be turned from one person or another, even for a brief moment in time while you're paying attention to this person and trying to circulate around. It, it was so much easier in that regard where you could see everybody at the same time and you could, you could connect with individuals right there and help correct it or enforce or encourage or whatever you need to do. And for me, over the past almost now year and a half, or, or actually it's more than a year and a half, about 20 months now that we've been dealing with this, uh, I still see people online and the skill of observation has honed dramatically in regards to actually seeing how their body is truly moving and not right. just, just kind of like, oh, they're doing the exercise. No, what is that hip doing right now? And why is the head position there? And, and oh, that knee is actually not in the position it should be. And you start to see the subtleness that it becomes quite obvious and right. before it was hidden. I mean, that's, for me, that's one of those kind of major things. And that started occurring within the first few months of COVID going, oh, wow, this is going to be really good for for me personally, as a professionally, as a coach, as an observer, and as, as somebody to try and guide someone down a path that you want them to go in. Right. I, I would agree. Yeah. I, we, I, we were definitely more locked in. I mean, the whole, the whole early on in COVID, like I was, I was like, I don't want to say excited. It was definitely scary. And I was, you know, I was concerned what was going to happen in my business, but in some ways I was like up for the challenge. It was like, oh, this is okay. This is gonna be a good challenge. We're going to figure this out. And early on, it was like, 
you know, I, I use Zoom, but not very much. So I didn't really know what I was doing there. And then we were using the Instagram Live and all these things were like great challenges. And with that, like you said, Instagram uh, Live wasn't great because you couldn't see what anyone was doing. That's why I liked Zoom so much. So when I flipped over to Zoom, it was like, I'm, I experienced all the things that you're talking about. And then over time, it, it, it got it got weird. It was like, it just felt like people were, they were coming on the engagement, even though they were coming on, the engagement was down. Like they just weren't as fired up to be there as they seemed like they were early on. Yeah. And I think everything just went on longer than everyone expected. It just almost looked like people were just kind of going through the motions and, and, and the zooms got hard. Cause you know, it's, there's only so many body weight exercises you can do or light dumbbell type exercise you can do. And I think there was a moment there where Zach was doing most of the coaching. Who's one of our, he doesn't work with us anymore, but he was kind of, he really helped us through the pandemic. And I think I worked like, worked out like 88 straight, straight days. Um, but after a while, it, it started to wear on me physically and mentally, emotionally. Um, and then I was, I was really grateful that we were able to go back, you know, and do in-person training. But, but to your point, yeah, I felt like doing that for the amount of time we did, did make our in-coaching, um, uh, in-person coaching better. But also it, it made me kind of grateful for what we had. And I think before the pandemic, you know, we, we took for granted the, what we, what we had, you know, we had full classes, the energy was good. Like you just kind of take it for granted, but once it's kind of taken away from you, you're like, oh, wow, I actually, we had, we had it really good. Yeah. Um, and, well, so. one of the things that you developed over the years and uh, to quite a success it are your summer camps that you put together. You, you invite some colleagues, uh, former players to come in and to put together youth sports conditioning for baseball in, in the form of summer camps. And of course, when COVID broke out, that all went sideways, but uh, it seems like things are opening up again. Are you planning for a paradigm sports summer clinics again, this coming 2022? Yeah, yeah, we are. This will be our 11th or 12th annual, I think. Uh, I got mixed up because of COVID. I think it's, I think it's gonna be our 12th. Uh, but yeah, we we will do that. Um, we we're actually do two this year. So this past year we had our again. I think this had something to do with COVID. Um, normally we get around 100 kids to come attend them. Um, this this year we had over 200. Um, so we're gonna we're probably we're we're gonna do two camps. We're gonna do we always do it during the week of the Major League All Star breaks. So I think that's like July 16th or something like that this year. And then, um, and then we'll do again uh, another one the week of August first, so right before the kids go to go to school. I mean, two two hundred and ten kids was was a lot. I think that like one hundred and fifty kids max would be our sweet spot. And so we're just hoping to kind of spread the crowd out a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, it's a lot. It's a lot of fun. We we we've got it's 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 one of those things. It's one of those few things where it's like it almost kind of runs itself now because we've done it so much and it's and it and it works really well. You know, that we serve the kids lunch. Uh, the kids all love eating the lunches. So. Um, and they get good instruction and they have a lot of fun. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the more popular things we do. And so I'm curious how the, it kind of goes. If you give a, a general overview for maybe aspiring trainers that want to do something in their community across the nation, and they have as much passion with baseball or perhaps another sport, it, it's a great idea especially getting kids to do something during the summer than to sit on their phones or to get on their Xbox or whatever the case is. How did you develop it? What's the overview of the program? So for us, uh, well, so the over, so it's, it's five days, Monday through Friday. Uh, we, the kids meet with, uh, we, we camp starts at nine and I'm pretty sure we end at two. It's from nine to two. 
Uh, we serve them lunch, which a lot of people advise us against doing, and I understand why. But at the same time, like the kids love it, and it's just it's just been a part of the camp. That's you know, Kendra's wanted to be doing. It. She she does that still to this day, um, and and she loves it. Um, when the first year we did it, we had thirty kids, um, maybe a little bit less. And as I said last year, we had two hundred ten. So I think the main thing is like, for me, it was always like this is something I'm going to do for a long time. So I was even though I was a little impatient, I wanted to grow the numbers as much as I could. Um, you know, be careful what you wish for. Cause like I said, at 210, it was, it was a bit hard to manage. Um, I think for us early on, you mentioned Tom house. So we had, Tom, so the first year we had Alan Jager come, he, Alan's a, a throwing expert. He works with a lot of, uh, high school professional baseball players. Um, so he came the first year and he was great. So he was kind of like a guest speaker that would, would come in on Wednesdays, kind of broke up the monotony of the week. Um, and the second year was when Tom house came. And then the third year, um, the legendary college baseball coach, Augie Burrito came out. Um, and, and so once he came out that almost, I mean, he's at the, in the baseball world, he was a huge name. I mean, huge name. He's the winning, he was the winningest coach in the history of college sports. Um, it almost kind of became a distraction and, um, because it, it just took away from the camp. So after that year, I was like, we're just going to do the camp. We're not going to have a guest speaker coming, but I do believe that having those guys come the first few years, um, did help kind of get some get some attention to the to the camp themselves. Not necessarily the younger kids because the younger kids didn't even know who Aguirre was. The year the year he came out, we rented out the Aptos Twin Theater and played his the documentary they have about him. It's called Inning by Inning. It's really good. Um, and so we played that in the theater just to kind of give the kids an idea of who they were going to meet the next day. Um, and then after we stopped doing that, I think for us, I, I would originally, I kind of had older kids coming. I think we went up as high as 17. And what I found out was the kids don't, kids at 17 don't want to be going to camps. They want to be getting, they want to be, you know, going to college recruiting type things. Um, and so we kind of scaled the age back. So now it's ages uh, nine to 14. Um, and I think that's kind of our sweet spot. So I would, I would, um, I would suggest anyone wanting to do this. Look at, where, look at where your demographic is. Now, I we kind of found our sweet spot, um, but it took us some time to do that. Um, and then, honestly, Rock, the, the, the curriculum of what we give them is really good. Like, I feel like what we're teaching them is is really, it's really good. And we're, and we have a good coaching staff. So uh, I've been doing this long enough now where kids that play for, or, or trained in our program or play for one of our teams, they've either gone off to college or some of them are in high school. Again, some of these kids are nine that we're working with. So I'm okay having like a senior in high school being one of our instructors and working with these younger kids. Um, Cause we had like 23 coaches at the, at the camp this year. Um, and then getting crystal clear on what the, what the objective is each day. So we have a practice plan. We review it as a staff before the camp. Um, and we just make sure that the precedent is set early. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's a lot of fun. And we have Mark Icorn come out, Mark Icorn for those who don't know, pitching the major leagues a long time ago. His son, Kevin is the one who works for us. And um, Mark won two world series. He, one in 92, 93. And he is like the funniest person I've ever met. He's so good. And he's so great with kids. I mean, that's what he does for a living. He's a, he's a baseball instructor. And so a lot of the kids know him in town. And so he, he, he does a really good job of helping bring kids to the camp as well. That's cool. Okay. So up against the clock here for more information about paradigm sport, of course, you can go to paradigmsport.com, but uh, how else can we look into you? Like Instagram, what's your handle there? Yeah, so we have two now. I finally split them up because people that could do our fitness are, were like, why do you keep putting baseball stuff on your Instagram? So we have Paradigm Sport, at Paradigm Sport Baseball and at Paradigm Sport on Instagram. Uh, we have a Facebook page, but I'd say we're most active on, on Instagram. Right on. Joey, this has been great. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you having me. Thank, thanks for thinking of me.
Well, that's it for another episode of the Zealous Podcast. Thank you, Joey Wolf, for coming on and sharing all you did with youth sports conditioning. And do tune in next week when we have another amazing guest. Follow us on Instagram, Rocky underscore Snyder. Subscribe to the podcast. And heck, while you're at it, why not pick up a copy of my book, Return to Center? We'll see you next week.